thank you, Aaron and Luca, for bringing us God's Word. It's a blessing to be here with you all this evening, and it's a privilege to be bringing God's Word to us. Um, so as I do, uh, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you in corporate worship. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to bring your word before your people. Lord, would you humble me? May I decrease that you may increase. Uh, and may the words of my mouth be faithful to your word. And may we all hear with open ears and give glory to you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> We all like things to be clean. Cars look best when they're washed. Dinner tastes better when it hasn't been on the floor. And mum hates it when the kitchen is a pigsty. But even more so, we like it when we ourselves are clean. We wash ourselves regularly. After work, after exercise, before bed, before a date. We want to be clean. In our passage this evening, we encounter a man who also desired to be clean. However, this man wasn't wanting to be clean uh, from dirt or mud or sweat. No, we find that this man was a leper who desperately wanted to be cleansed from his horrid skin disease. This man had no hope of cleansing, uh, but we see in our passage, it was only by the power of Christ that he was set free from his sickened state. Here in the book of Matthew, we are confronted with yet another miraculous healing of Jesus. But why does Matthew need to include this particular story? Well, if we are careful when studying our Bibles, we'll find that it's, uh, this event is not only recorded to us by Matthew, uh, but Mark and Luke as well. So there must be an important lesson for us to learn. But what makes this encounter between Jesus and the leper so significant? Well, it's the man's leprous condition that makes this story significant. And as we, as we unpack this passage, you'll find that this story is more relevant to us than you probably first anticipated. So as we dive into this text together, we'll first compare ourselves to the leper and see how in our depravity, we too find ourselves in a similar but much more severe state of hopelessness. We will then look at how the leper was cleansed from his sickness and how we too may find freedom in the saving work of Christ. So first, let's begin by fleshing out the loathsomeness of the leper. And as we do, I want you to keep this in mind. Leprosy, as revolting as it may, as it may be, falls far short of comparing with the depravity and wretchedness of our sin. Yet there are still some helpful similarities that we can draw from the two to help us get a clearer sense of the desperate state that we are in. Let me show you three. So first of all, leprosy was a loathsome skin disease that defiled the whole person. Spurgeon once graphically described the disease in gruesome detail. Let me share it with you. And I quote, A leper was extremely loathsome in his person. The leprosy broke out at first, almost imperceptibly, in certain red spots which appeared in the skin. They were painless, but they gradually increased. Perhaps the man who was the subject of the complaint scarcely knew that he had it at all, but it increased, and further and further and further it spread. 
The perspiration was unable to find a vent and the skin became dry and peeled off in scales. The withering of the skin was too true an index of what was going on within. For in the very marrow of the bones, there was the most frightful rottenness, which in due time would utterly consume the victim. He goes on and on in more detail, uh, but he concludes, I could not describe all the loathsomeness and ghastliness of the aggravated case of Jewish leprosy. It would be too sickening, if not disgusting. Can you imagine standing in front of someone like this? The last thing you'd want to do is go near them. So you can begin to sense how those felt uh, around Jesus when they saw the leper in our passage. Now, according to Jewish law, a leper was considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and therefore he could have nothing, he could do nothing in complete decency uh, because everything he did or touched was stained with impurity. If a leper was to drink from a cup, the cup would be defiled and become unclean. If a leper was to lie on a bed, the bed would be defiled and become unclean. If a leper was to touch another person, even just come within two metres of that person, they would be defiled and become unclean. And the first point I want to make is that we, in the same way, are utterly consumed by sin and everything we do is defiled and guilt-ridden. We are all sinners. We have rebelled against God. The Bible clearly states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, in in essence, what sin is are falling short of God's standards for how we are to live our lives. And we all fall far short. Sure, you may not have committed adultery or murdered anyone, but if you flip back a couple of passages in your Bible, you'll find that Jesus is preaching on the law and he says to those that those who hate their brother have committed murder in their heart and that those who have lustful thoughts commit adultery with that woman in their heart. The law goes much further than we may realise. And these are only two examples. That's not to say anything about pride or envy or greed or selfishness. If we are honest with ourselves, we will see that this is who we are. Even the things that we say reflect the state of our heart. The Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. I am a sinner. And you too are all sinners. Just like the leper, our sin defines who we are. If you think you can even earn the Lord's favour through your own efforts, you greatly fool yourselves. Everything we say, everything we do, and everything we think is defiled and an abomination before the Lord. Let me remind you how easy it is to look at the leper and to pity him in his loathsome state. But do you realise how vile and inherently detestable sin is? Do you recognise how much worse we are in our state of sin? Another consequence of leprosy was that it cut the deceased person off from the presence of God and the community of his people. 
According to the Jewish law, as recorded in Leviticus 13, we read, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. When God had established this law, the Israelites were wandering through the desert. As they came to each place to stay, they would set up their tents and they would camp together in one big community. They would eat together, they would play together and they would enjoy fellowship together. And where was God? Well, we remember that God himself was with them and he dwelt in the tent of meetings, which was in the centre of the camp. God was at the core of everything they did. But a leper was an outcast. By remaining outside the camp, he was excluded from the fellowship with people and prevented from partaking in the worship of God. And the second point I want to make is this. Just like leprosy, our sin cuts us off from enjoying a relationship with God. Just as Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence in the garden when they sinned, so too are we prevented from having anything to do with God. We cannot enjoy the warmth of his peace, the joy of his blessings, and ultimately the richness of his fellowship. This is what we were made for. Without God, life is empty. God is infinitely holy, therefore we are infinitely sinful. In Isaiah 6, which Aaron read for us, we get a slight glimpse of the holiness of God and immediately we see how quickly it breaks Isaiah into heartfelt, gut-wrenching recognition of his own wicked state. You see, it is impossible for us to stand before a holy God. The final observation I want to make about leprosy is the fact that it results in death. In the ancient biblical times, leprosy had no cure. The lepers were left to scavenge for food and to try and care for themselves. In most cases, if they didn't starve to death or die from the elements, their sickness would eventually consume them and they would die. In the same way, our sin also leads to death. We have already seen that we fall short of God's standard and live lives that are unpleasing to him. As a result, our sin has a consequence. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. God is not only a holy God, but he is a just God. Therefore, he cannot leave sin unpunished. In the same way that a just judge cannot turn a blind eye to a convicted criminal's offence, so too the Lord cannot simply overlook our guilt. It must be punished. And the punishment that fits the crime is death, eternal death. You and I deserve nothing short of facing the fierce wrath of God in eternal damnation. Even if you only committed one sin, and it was the smallest sin, a white lie, a little gossip, it is enough for you to be cast into hell for eternity. But that isn't fair. It is fair. And it is just. You see, the extent of our sin is not defined by how sinful we are but rather by the value of the one whom we sin against. Here's a helpful illustration I once heard. What would happen if you went to a car wrecker 
uh, and you found an old beat up car, it was all rusted, parts were missing from it, and you got your key and you scratched the side of the door. Absolutely nothing. I mean, the car's a piece of junk anyway. Now what happens if after church you went outside into the car park and you found my old Corolla <laughs> and you got your key and you scratched the side of my door? Well, I'd probably be a bit disappointed, but the paint's coming off it anyway, so who cares? <laughs> now, what would happen if you were in Turak? <laughs> what would happen if you keyed the door of a Rolls Royce or a shiny red Ferrari? You would be in big trouble. You see how in each scenario, the same crime was committed, but as the worth of the car increases, the crime suddenly becomes a greater evil. When we sin, we must realise that we are not sinning against other flawed, sinful human beings. No. We are sinning against an eternal God of infinite value. That is why the punishment we deserve is fair. So what can we do? We have established that we are plagued with sin, having no capacity to please God that we are cut off from a relationship with him and that we deserve to face the wrath of God and eternal damnation. Just like the despairing leper, I hope we too have begun to grasp how hopeless our sinful state is. But there is hope. Let's look at our passage in Matthew as I believe there is a valuable lesson we can learn. What does the leper do in his helpless state? Read with me in verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him, that is Jesus, and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. First, the man admits to his own helplessness. That is seen by the way in which he approaches Jesus. Luke recalls that when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. He begged him. There was nothing he could do. And we can sense the anguish in his cry. Just like the leper, we also must admit to the hopeless state of our sinful souls. And just like him, there is nothing we can do to fix it. If we have a condition that is far worse than leprosy, how is it that we are so comfortable? Why do we not hate our sin as we should? Why do we not feel the same sense of desperation to be freed from the deadly grip of sin? Or do we just not see our sin at all? And I'm afraid this may be the case. We must ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and make us aware of our fallen state. It is only when we admit that we are totally consumed by sin that we can truly cry out in desperation. And secondly, the leper submitted himself to the mercy of Christ. He recognised that Jesus was his only help, his only hope of healing. And he understood that it was only by the will of Christ that he could be made well. And like the leper, we too must go with our sin and humbly fall before the Lord Jesus Christ. We must plead with him to have mercy on us and to cleanse us from our guilt and shame because it is only by his will that we can be freed. I assure you, if you come before the Lord in the same way the leper did and confess your need for Christ, 
he is willing to take away your sin. How can I be sure? Well, look with me at verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I can be sure because Jesus plainly says in our text that he is willing. But he also proves his willingness through his actions and by displaying his power over the disease. What is astounding and maybe the most important thing to realise in this passage is that Jesus stretches out and touches the man. This is remarkable for a couple of reasons. First of all, by touching the man, Jesus shows his willingness to stoop down and meet the man in his need. Jesus does not offer him assistance from an arm's length, but he draws close and intimately helps the man in his sickened state. This is not an example of a detached and distant act of charity, as if Jesus wanted to help the man while keeping his distance. No, this is an example of personal and sincere care. And secondly, and perhaps most importantly, we see that Jesus did not become unclean after touching the leper, as what the law would have said. But no, rather we find that the leper became clean. This is astounding. Jesus shows that he is greater than disease and proves that there is nothing that can defile his holiness. We find it remarkable that Jesus, the Son of God, would willingly stand before the lowest of the low, an unclean, rotten leper. But I believe the most amazing thing about this passage is not that Jesus is standing before a leper, but rather that Jesus, the perfect, holy Son of Almighty God, would leave his heavenly realm and come in human flesh to live and breathe, walk and talk, eat and drink and dwell amongst sinners. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he did not just come to live with sinners. No, in the same way Christ met with the leper and helped him in his need, so too did Christ come to meet us in our need. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ does not only have the power to take away the man's leprosy, but he has the power to take away our sin. Christ comes down to our level and he sees us in our pain and suffering and he reaches out and touches us and rescues us. Right now you may feel far from God. Maybe your sin seems too disgusting and dirty for God to clean. Maybe you're in just as much despair as the leper. Know this. Jesus doesn't turn you away. No matter how dirty or messed up your life or how unclean you may feel, Jesus is willing and ready to touch you and make you clean. Like the leper, are you willing to plead for his mercy and receive his salvation? Well, how is it that Christ can save us? See, at the end of his ministry, we see Jesus performing the greatest act of cleansing in human history. It was when he was betrayed by one of his own disciples and handed over to the Roman centurions who stripped him and beat him and nailed him to a cross. It was there that Christ bore the wrath of all of our sin, all of our guilt and all of our shame. 
Having been forsaken by his father, he cried out in anguish, not from the nails in his hands, but because at that moment he faced the full wrath of Almighty God. Christ drank down to the very dregs that which was reserved for us. He took our sin upon himself and he bore the punishment we deserve. And in return, he clothes us with his own righteousness. The perfect life he lived, he credits to us so that when Christ looks at us, he sees no record of sin. For our debt was paid on that cross. There we see God's wrath, his mercy, his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his compassion and his love all clearly displayed at once. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sin has been cleansed and our relationship with the Lord has been restored. We are free to enter his presence and we can enjoy the blessings of eternal life with God in glory. If you repent of your sins and confess your need for a saviour and put your trust in Jesus as the only one who can offer forgiveness, this truth will be a reality in your own life. Well, now what? Well, for those who have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, how are we to live in response to what we have just heard? Well, as I conclude, by way of application, let's take a look at the command Jesus gave in the final verse of our passage. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. In Leviticus 14, we are given a description of the sacrificial gifts and rituals that the priest offered to the Lord on behalf of the leper in order to cleanse him. Uh, And afterward, we are told that the leper was commanded to shave his hair, to wash his clothes and to bathe his body. After being pronounced clean, by no means of himself, we see that he is to remove the things which characterised his former life. This is how a leper was reinstated into the community and how he could testify to the priests and those around him that he was truly cleansed. We no longer live in the Old Testament and are not required to sacrifice animals to cleanse us from our sin. No, Jesus Christ is the one true sacrifice who died once and for all. However, in Romans 12, Paul appeals to us by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God. We have seen that we have no part to play in our salvation apart from recognising the need for forgiveness. But after we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we are to live as though we are cleansed by removing in our lives the things which characterise our sinful way of living. If a man had a shower because of the mud from working in the garden, why would he come out and continue wearing his dirty clothes? You see, if we are cleansed from our sin, why would we continue to live in our sinful way? We are called to live holy lives, a life that will testify to those around us of the cleansing work of Christ. Now, I recognise that this is not something that we can do in our own strength, and by no means are we going to be perfect. But we do it by meditating on the truths we have just heard and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Paul urges us, by the mercies of God. 
I am reminded of the story in Luke 7, where Jesus was invited to have dinner at the house of one of the Pharisees. And as they were reclining at the table, a sinful woman entered the place and began to wash the Lord's feet with her tears and wipe and dry with her hair. You might remember this story. Now Simon the Pharisee, he, he judged the woman because he knew that she was a sinner. But Jesus turned to him and told him a short parable. He said, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other only 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both of them. And then he asked, Now which of them would love him more? Of course it's the one who has cancelled the larger debt. So Jesus said of the woman, She loves much because she has been forgiven much. Let us be those who love much in response to the mercy of God in our lives. If we truly see our sin for what it is, our perception of the magnitude and beauty of God's grace will abound all the more. When we look at ourselves and see our failures, let us take ten looks to Christ and remember that he died because of our failures. And let this be the motivation that spurs us on to live lives pleasing to him. We are all loathsome sinners and only Christ can cleanse us. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we recognise that we are sinners undeserving of your grace, undeserving even to come before you. Yet, Lord, we do not know the magnitude of our sin. And if you were to show us how deep our sin really is, it would kill us. But God, we ask that you would reveal to us more and more how desperately we do need you. So that when we look at Christ and we see what he has done for us, Lord, we would have no other option but to glorify you and to live lives that are pleasing to you. We thank you for Christ, for his cleansing work for us on the cross. We thank you for taking the punishment that we deserve. Now help us as we live to please you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.